Hello, you're listening to the Kilcullen Diary SoundCloud. I'm Brian Byrne. There's a sculptor in Kilcullen, just down by the bridge, called The Magician. It was installed in 2016 to commemorate the work of Kilcullen Development Association, KDA, from the 1950s through its most active years to the early 2000s. An element in the sculpture is the image of Paddy Nugent, one of the founding members of KDA and referenced as the magician. Paddy Nugent is in Kilcullen's legend space. The KDA, of which he was a founding member, pioneered advanced factory provision long before they became part of the state's policies for employment. Through the 1970s, the association moved from offering factories to building affordable homes for those who worked in those factories. Even in this current millennium, KDA has been helping community and sports groups with grants and support. But none of that was in the thoughts of the small boy in the 1930s whose family came to live in Kilcullen. In the mid-1980s, I recorded a chat with him. I only rediscovered the tape a couple of years ago. We started off with recollections of his life before the family came here. Well, I came into Indica Cullen with my parents in uh, October 1930. And I came from a place called uh, Goldstown Dulik in the county Mead. And my father had been a, a ploughman on a big estate, big place, similar to the Lego Blackers here. And uh, one evening when he came home from work, he saw me dancing on a a black thorn bush in the ditch with a hole to the barbed wire and I was using this as a kind of a springboard or trampoline and he thought that I'd tear the face of myself with the the barbed wire if I slipped off the, the, the bush so he pulled the bush to break it to finish that as a trampoline for all time but the bush flew and took the eye out of his head so when he came back from hospital from the Ironeer, the big boss came down to him and he says, well, he says, Jim, you've only got one eye now, he says. And there's no plowman, he says, could plow a straight furrow, he says, with one eye. So he says, pack your bags and get out. So we can't take a call and he bought this little place below from Jimmy Collins at the, the mill, the mill field, plus two houses. And he set up there as market gardener and... Uh, a few cows selling milk, and that's how we started in Kilcullen. Why did you pick Kilcullen to come to? Principally because of the Liffey, of the river. He was a man that was reared in, uh, born and reared in a place called Four, a very famous place in County Westmead, and he did a lot of fishing for uh, trout and eels in the tributaries going into Loch Derivara and Loch Lane. He was very fond of fishing. When he saw this place on the market, he rode the bicycle down from Dublin and uh, organised the bank through a garden tower for to put up the money, £280 for the place, plus £20 for solicitor and auctioneer fees, £300 the total cost. And it took him 20 years to clear it. And that was hard work and hard slogging. What age were you at that time? I was six year old. I was I was born in July and I was six year old in July, so I was about six and a quarter when I came here. 
and I never went to school because where we lived on this estate was four miles from the nearest town, which was Duleek. And my mother had to carry my eldest brother, Frank, into school every morning on the back of the bicycle. So I was left in. It was a back-to-back house, so I was left in with the next-door neighbour until she came back. But he had the grass of a cow on the estate, and he had a good-sized garden. So we always had our own vegetables, our own milk, and our own butter. And my mother always had hens. So each Saturday she'd go into Joe Owens' shop in Vuleek, and occasionally I had the great pleasure of travelling on the back of the bicycle with a basket of eggs between my knees on the back of the bike and a couple of pounds of butter. And this was the barter for the tea and the sugar and the flour because she made all her own bread. But I was in Joe Owens' shop here this year, the first time for 64 years. It's now the Greyhound Bar and Restaurant in the league, and the Owens's, uh, the last of the Owens's died 15 years ago. So there was no memory, really? There was no memory, no. but I went, back, I went back to the house where I was born, and the house has disappeared, there's grass growing where the house used to be. And I met one man who was uh, about a year older than myself, or two years older than myself, who went to school with my brother. I met him, and we talked about times, that those particular times. And, of course, they were hard times, because they were only very, very short time after the finish of the War of Independence and the Civil War here. One of the things the Nugents discovered when they came was that Kilcullen and the Curra military camp had always had a strong relationship. Paddy had his own thoughts of how that worked. Most of the people in this uh, particular area derived their living, or had derived their living, for many, many years of the British on the Curra. Even into the, the Free State, of course, were on the Curra at that time, and even into the Free State time, on the Curra, the same type of carry-on took place as had been taken place during the British time, insofar as people who had contracts to supply hay and oats and straw and that to the army on the Curra for feeding their horses and everything else, they'd bring it up in one gate, weigh it, bring it down around by Brownstone, back around the boat and bring it back in the same load in and get a second way of docket for it so they're getting doubled milk. <laughs> and the lads that were bringing milk supplying milk to the canteens that bring in the milk in the barrels and of course there'd be a side of bacon or a couple of hams thrown into the churn, milk churns on the way for the way back of course there'd always be a few drinks in some of the pubs then for to pay for that each night but that that had been uh, a big way of making money during the British time, but it still continued on fairly extensively into the Free State time. But then the curra was the only industry in the area. That uh, if you could get a job in the curra, well, you were right for life. Before coming to Kilcullen, Paddy had never attended school. As he put it himself, his early education was at the fireside in his family's home. But that was changed when they arrived here. I went to school, I think, within a week of coming to Kilcullen, but I'd, I'd learned all my lessons at home at the fire with my parents as a, as a child. 
I went to school and the first day I went into Sister Bradlin in the babies class. I was a bit big for the babies that were there because I was six and a half and they were only about four. So she spent the first day grilling me about how to bless myself and how did I know the Hail Marys and our fathers and it was all religion all day and apparently I must have satisfied her because the second day I moved a class. I moved into the high infants, the sister John Berkman's I think was her name. And I spent one week with her, and then I moved up to Sister Alexis. And there was only four boys in that class. There was Jock Harney, Billy Haslam, Jerry Kelly, and myself. And Sister Alexis had a fair old job controlling four boys in a First Communion class with about 25 girls. At that stage, was there a boys' separate school then? There was the, well, the boys' school. The boys yeah. school was there. We couldn't go to the the, the boys' school until we made our first Holy Communion. So we were due to make our first Holy Communion when we were seven year old. But uh, in the meantime, well, we learned. We had to learn our classes, but we we were getting a fair rough time with in from Sister Alexis because, needless to say, no matter where they put us, we were beside girls, and if we were near the girls, there was trouble. One evening after school, myself and Joe Kearney had a boxing match out on the, the road. And we lathered one another for I don't know how long with every child from both the boys' school and the girls' school all around in the big circle on the road. Paddy Byrne, the headmaster in the boys' school, came out and got the two of us by the scruff of the neck, dragged us back into the nun's school, threw us into Sister Alexis and gave out to her for not having proper control over her pupils. So she sent down the next morning to a local saddler, the boot ferrell, for a strap. Apparently the stick she was beaten with, with us uh, wasn't having the desired effect. <laughs> so she got this strap, and that strap has been used, to, was used up to the time that the nun school closed here a few years ago, 1980, when the the schools amalgamated. That strap lasted all those years. And that was bought specially for Joe Kearney and myself. In those days, the boys only stayed with the nuns until they made their first communion. So when Paddy and his schoolboy companions reached that stage, they were sent across the road to the boys' school. Paddy immediately encountered a problem. When I reached seven-year-old, you see, we made our first Holy Communion. Then we were sent down to the Bay School, down to Miss Griffin. I was only a few months in Kilcullen. I was only a few months going to school, and she wasn't going to take somebody into her class that was only a few months coming, going to school. So she promptly sent me back, up to <laughs> Sister Alexis. <laughs> My Sister Alexis... The nun school had no means of catering for boys after the mother first Holy yeah. Communion. They yeah. only catered for girls. Yeah. So she promptly sent me back down again. So Miss Griffin sent me back. So the first day in the boys school, I spent it going from the boys school to the nun school and back to the boys school and up and down, up and down all day until the day was over and I went home. And the next morning I went back up to the nun school 
and the nuns promptly sent me down and walked the whole way down with me and handed me in. And Scully, not to be outdone, said, well, he's not coming into this classroom and you won't take him back, so we put him in the porch. So I was left sitting out in the porch among all the coats. And I sat there for a whole week. My first week in the vice school was spent in the porch on my own. And was there anybody arguing your case for you? No, until uh, my mother, who went to first mass every morning, went around to uh, Canon Talbot, and she told him the story. So Canon Talbot came over, and he ordered Miss Griffin to take me into the class. And it would have been a lot better for my hands if, if she never did. Because you were on a loser from here on in. I was, I was, I was on the wrong end of one of her big sticks for the next four years. He was indeed, and he wasn't the only one. During our talk, Paddy went into detail about the application of corporal punishment in the boys' school at the time. But we'll draw a veil over that. There's no real point in dwelling on it. Paddy survived his time in the school, and I asked him had it been of any benefit at all. I learned a certain amount. I wouldn't say I got a good education, because when I finished in, in, in the National School, I went to, I rode the bicycle for 12 months to Newbridge to the Technical School. And I, I always figured I, I learned more in the Technical School in, in 12 months than I had learned in the National School during my whole period. And I went on then, I rode the bicycle then to Nias for two years to the Technical School in Nias. And out of, I think it was nine subjects on the final examination in this, in science we got nothing because we had beat, beaten up the science teacher about a month before that. Around about 50% for Irish and something between 50 and 60% for English because I had lost the, the initial grinding on uh, verbs and mm. all this type of thing. Because it, it was the same as if it never happened, because you couldn't learn this with a big stick over your shoulder. So I lost out on, on Irish and I lost out on English, but on all the threads, my lowest marks on any of the threads was 92%. Yeah, I was good at maths. I, I loved maths. I could, uh, I could do up any sums in my head. And uh, that, of course, stood getting to school afterwards. And uh, I, I, did, um, I did a certain amount, uh, or there was a course in the technical school on accountancy, so we learned how to do trial balances and all that type of thing with, mm. with books. So I, I, I did, uh, you know, a fair initial grinding on bookkeeping, so then when I went in behind the counter in the shop, I was able to make up all the goods. As you took them off the shelf, you added them up in your head. Apart from school, what was it like to grow up in a town like Gacullen in the 1930s? We enjoyed life. We had games that time, of course, that you wouldn't have now. We had a game that time we used to play on the back lane called uh, Cat and Dog. And it was a, st a piece of stick about an inch in diameter with the two ends uh, about six inches long with the two ends uh, pointed. And you had another stick, an ordinary stick, uh, with a bit of a bend on the end of it, like a hurley stick, if possible. 
and you tip one end of your dog and it'll fly up and you had to hit it then when it, when it came off the ground and of course if you weren't good at it you'd miss it and uh, wherever it landed well you'd, the, the other guy then try and beat you to it right. but that was, that, that was a, a great game in the, on, the, on the back lane and of course we'd have wheels a bicycle wheel with a stick yeah. hoops there's no such children nowadays there's no such thing as that no. But they were they were regular then. We had the spinning tops. We had two different types. So you had a top that you could throw, and you had the other one that you set the the, the twine around and you shot it out and you beat it with the. Yeah, the one you, the one you threw had a long spike, it had a spike about an inch long, and you put your 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 twine around it and you had the held the twine through it. But you couldn't whip it. It yeah. it spin, but it spin much longer. Ah, well, you had hopscotch. And you had marbles, of course, in the big way. Eh? We, we went in a good deal for making little uh, carts as well, mm. out of all pram wheels. And we'd get the axles, we'd make a cart, and, and we could race. We'd, we'd be able to race them down the, the, the middle of the street because there was no traffic. And at that time on the bridge, like the bridge was six, the bridge wall was six foot tall that time. So you had to climb up the wall for to see over the bridge. And then that was before Paulo Fuca was built, and you had big floods. I remember in, in uh, 1932, then you had a terrible snowfall, where you had, you know, over six foot of snow here in the town. And I remember distinctly that particular night, there was a car went down the town, and we heard the car going down the town early in the night, and we were saying that that car would never get up the hill mm. with the snow. And of course, it didn't get up the hill. And... Uh, those people came up the town. They were in the town for three or four days before they were able to get out of it. But I remember that. I remember the next morning when I when I got up and I came downstairs and I opened the front door, and the snow was up over the top of it. I couldn't even see out the door, and we had to close the door and keep out the snow. I remember a flood early in the thirties. It could have been actually it could have been the aftermath of the snow where the. The whole of our field was covered, and the arch, the, 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 the water was only about 18 inches under the top of the arch on the bridge. It was lapping the sewage pipe that went across the, the end of the bridge. Well, the houses around the square then must have been totally... The under. houses in the yeah. square, were the, the, the water was up four or five feet in the house, all the houses down the town, all the shops and houses. Did that happen a lot? Well, it, it happened, the, the houses get flooded in uh, all floods, all big floods, but uh, that was the, the, the worst flood in my my history, you mm. could call it. But uh, I saw several floods when you couldn't go down the town. Kilcullen had been founded at a ford of the River Liffey, where just over 700 years ago the first Kilcullen Bridge was built. For Paddy Nugent and his friends growing up, the river was very important. In the summertime, we'd be down swimming in the Liffey on the 1st of May. But you don't get the weather nowadays. You know, the weather, it's a long, long time ago since you could swim on the 1st of May. We just get good, you know, we get three months of summer and you'd be in the river every day. But then we did a lot of fishing, because there was loads of fish in the river that time. Both trout and pike and perch. 
And the uh, any time if there was a flood down, a bit of a fresh down at all, you go down there with a, a worm, and it's all you wanted is a stick and a line and a hook and a worm on the end of it, and you go down and catch a trout. But you wouldn't, uh, you see, you have no natural floods now to bring in the fresh. And either way, you haven't got the number of trout on the river, because on, on a summer's day, if you were at the bridge below and you look up, there'd be literally thousands of fish rising for flies in the valley. And then you'd, you'd have an odd salmon. But that time the water was clean and pure and, and, and it, was, it was lovely. That, uh, that time we, we used to go up to the what we call the Lone Bush, up mm-hmm. above the, 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 the far side of the uh, the mill stream, to, to swim there. That was the, the favourite place. When I did this interview with Paddy in the 1980s, things were economically tough here. But he was well able to remember when there was real poverty with no safety nets. You hear nowadays talk about people being poor nowadays. There's not, I don't see anybody that's poor, not compared to the people who were poor then. The people who were poor in the 1930s had no money. If they happened to have an old age pension, the old age pension was 10 shillings. I remember when the government actually cut the pension from 10 shillings to 9 shillings because the country couldn't afford it. If you hadn't got a job, you had no money. But people were generous. Like a, a poor person could go to a farmer and he could get a few potatoes and turnips. You know, good, the, 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 any good people at all in the area that were earning a living, mm-hmm. they'd always have a dinner for somebody. There'd be some poor person that, that'd have a dinner for There were some great people. In the, the, the feelings that lived uh, just above uh, Bernie's, the Saddlers, they were very generous. Cooked dinners for several poor people every day and delivered them to them. You know, there were numerous people like that in Kilcullen at that time. There's, there's a terrible lot of good was done by shopkeepers that time that nobody ever knew anything at all about. Because I, I, I know now of, of your grandparents who certainly looked after a lot of very poor people in Kilcullen. But uh, any time I go fishing for pike, there'd always be somebody who said, Paddy, if you have everyone, don't forget to come on back. And I often went up the river and came back with three or four pike. And I never eat pike, but I caught thousands of them. I gave them all away. They'd see you coming, and they'd be watching and waiting for you. And they still had that little bit of pride that they wouldn't want to ask you for one. You'd, you'd ask them, do you want a pike? And by you see the face lighting up. I remember, I remember one particular day, there was a famous character here in the town, and he lived on the, just in the corner of the lane going up to Logstown House. This would be where one of Brennan's big sheds is now. But he lived there in that sh- little hut there. But I was going down uh, Bernie's Inch fishing. And uh, I got a p- I got two or three pike, but I, I got one good pike. It weighed seven and a half pound weight. And coming back down the lane, I met the napper. God, we're going to have a feed this evening, said the Napper. He <laughs> says, I have you anything to go with the big lad, Napper. Oh, I, I, I get organised, he said. So we left the Napper, the pike, 
and I gave up the way the other small ones to a couple of other people that was further down the lane. And uh, I came back down about two hours afterwards down to see how the napper was getting out at the pike. And he, he apparently went out and he got at least a half a stone of potatoes. He got a turnip. He got a few carrots and a few parsnips. He just put the whole lot into a great big three-legged pot. Put the whole pike in along with them. And filled it up with water and put it on the fire, the fire of sticks, of course. About two hours afterwards, we went down and myself and Kenneth Maloney and the napper was just ready to start into it. The whole lot was cooked. And he took the... He got the pike first, and he rooted at him with the, the knife and fork, and the next thing he kind of got him by the head, and he took the head, the bones of the head, plus the whole backbone, the whole, all, the, all the bones, he just lifted them out because he was cooked perfect. He mashed the whole thing up, and he started with a big spoon to eat it. Now, I'd estimate that there was at least 14 or 15 pound weight of food in that pot. And when he was halfway down... He rooted in the car and he, and he gave me a big jug and he gave me sixpence and he told me to go down to Dillon's and get him sixpence worth of porter. So yeah. I went down to Dillon's for him and I got the sixpence worth of porter and uh, brought it back down to the napper. He he had a, a few scubs out of the, the jug and the next thing he started into the pot. Well, he never stopped until he finished that. He emptied the pot. Now he says, I, have a, I can have a good sleep now, he says, and I want anything more to eat for another week. One of the staple wild foods in those times was rabbit. I have a strong recollection of bundles of rabbit snares hanging in my grandfather's hardware shop, loops of copper wire on small wooden posts. Rabbits were plentiful, and Paddy recalled to me how important they were, especially to some families in the town who made their living from them. Rabbits was a business, as well as being a, a, a means of, of uh, keeping body and soul, if you like, in, in the, the people's tummies. People lived off rabbits. But you had a number of families here in the town who were professional rabbit catchers and sold them on to uh, dealers who would call with their uh, lorries or vans two or three times a week. But you could buy a rabbit for sixpence. And uh, the skin had not for you, because they were always able to sell the skin separately. That had a value as well. Mm. You know, people wouldn't be hungry because you could get you could get a good sized rabbit for sixpence, and uh, well, you had a couple of pounds of, of meat. A lot of other local people were involved in their own businesses, often a struggle to survive, but survive they did. One such was Jim Barber, who owned a bicycle shop beside where Bank of Ireland is now. He was an expert mechanic, and he also had a very important contract. Barber had the, would do anything, of course, with the car, but he also did the post. He did the post care to Kildare, and Barber collected the post in the railway station in Kildare, brought it onto the Curra, left all the, the Curra mail on the Curra, and then came on with the, the mail to Kilcullen. And it was vice versa, of course, then in the evening. And he collected the, the mail below at the, the box, below at, at uh, Sunny Hill. He had about three post fans, all the same model Fords, all with the same number plates, 
everything was the same on them. So do you see that it didn't matter which one he, he had, he always had the right one because he only taxed or insured one of them. <laughs> That's right. I see. What kind of law enforcement was there then? Uh, it was very slack. Like, uh, as long as you were able to drive, that's all that matter. Mm. And uh, the only thing about the cars that time was that if you were driving one, I learned how to drive, actually, when I was 12 years old. I was taught how to drive it. And uh, the only thing about it is that you, you'd need at least 100 yards of a warning when you had to stop. The brakes were very, very poor. But if you went over the top of a hill, going down the hill, you'd always put your foot on the brake when you'd start. You'd, you wouldn't let the car get too fast, because if it did, you wouldn't be able to control it. Paddy Nugent grew up in an era when the nation was finding its feet after the foundation of the Free State. Although that had been a lawless time in its own way, by the 1930s and 40s there was little enough for the local Garda Síochána to be concerned with. Well, the biggest crime, of course, would be somebody with a bicycle and no light on it, or a public house being caught after selling drink after hours. And then, of course, you couldn't sell drink after hours to a local. You could sell it to a fellow from three miles away. He was a bona fide and he could drink till 12 o'clock. But uh, everybody else had to be out at 10. So, of course, the locals weren't out at 10 and you had to be keeping an eye, a watch at the window all the time or somebody upstairs watching out. And it was the, the bicycle life was the biggest problem for most people. The only, the only time you'd have an assault would be if someone had to be drunk and he'd have a row with somebody else. And uh, as far as robberies are concerned, well, there's very, very seldom, because people didn't even lock their doors. Like your doors, we we, we never locked our door. Our doors were always open. It was the same everywhere. Nobody, like, you, you didn't... People were different. They were more neighbourly. And uh, if you had a, a motor car and your neighbour wanted the load of it, you'd give them the load of it. Providing he was able to drive, you'd give, him, you'd give him, or the loan of a bicycle, or the loan of a ladder, like, my father made a ladder, shortly after coming to Kilcullen, he actually made a ladder, and that ladder put, served the whole of Kilcullen for about 25 or 30 years, and every time he wanted the ladder himself, he had to go around the town looking for it. Growing up in Paddy's generation, and indeed in his father's own generation, you worked hard to make even the most basic of livings. But there was often a great deal of self-sufficiency, especially if you had access to any small patch of land to plant a few vegetables or keep a few cattle, some hens, maybe a pig. We were kind of fairly self-sufficient at home because we had all our own vegetables from the garden. We had our own milk. With our own butter. My father would take a, a half an acre or an acre of land somewhere and he, he'd saw cardin on it. And he'd get the cardin ground in the mill. So we had our own wheat meal. And we'd have our own porridge because we, we'd uh, he'd have a certain amount of oats or he'd buy a few barrels of oats and get it rolled. And then we had our own hens. So we had our own eggs. So we, we, we were very, very self-sufficient. And then we were selling, we were selling the produce as mm -hmm. well. We'd always have a pig, and Bill Malone, that'd be good to him. Bill would kill the pig, and he'd, he'd uh, butcher the pig for us and cut it up, and we'd stack it and pack it in salt, and we'd get saltpeter and the whole lot, and Bill would bring down the pump, and he'd pump the hams with the, the brine, so as that they keep. Then with the cows, we always then, uh, Dan Brennan always more or less took a few the small cattle, we'd always have a few small cattle up with Dan. And uh, my father then always did a, a, a kind of a barter 
labor system with Ennis's, Mrs. Ennis above in, in Knockbunce. She had the horse and ploughing carts and all the rest of it. She had the, 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 the horses. So, of course, my father was an expert on horses, so he, he went out and he did the ploughing fur and the, the tilling and that, and he had five or six drills of potatoes, which was extra to our requirement. He'd always have a drill or two of, of turnips out there. Mm. He had the horse and bogey then to bring in. He'd get uh, hay and we'd have to make it up, do you see, and he'd have their horse and bogey in that for bringing it in and for cutting it, and he'd have her machinery. So it was a barter system all the time. One community organisation which still has its place in Kilcullen today, the Kilcullen Drama Group, was very active in Paddy Nugent's younger days in an earlier incarnation. There was good activity in Kilcullen. The Carlos Stables was the hub of Kilcullen before the town hall was built. And the, the kingpin at that particular time in Kilcullen was Father Moynihan. And I was at the players in the Carlos Stables where you had uh, Julia Kelly, Pat Kelly, Bill Malone, Hoxie Barker, May Burke, they were the char- characters in it. Even Peter Kelly, the, the jockster, he, he acted in a couple of plays that I saw in the Carlos Stables. But those players made money, you know, small money. Like you made £10 on, 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 on the door on the night, it was, it was big money. But they, they, they had the players there regular, and uh, Father Minehan, of course, directed them and run the whole shoot. He run the whole shooting gallery. And beside the Carlos Stables, beside the hall, you had Mrs. Baxter's house on one end of it, and you had the Max Murphy's house on the other end, and, the, and you had the football pitch out in the back. So if the football players were playing, they'd be able to change tugs on that inside in the, in the hall. And then they run two carnivals in the field opposite the hall, in the convent field. They, they were able to make use of the hall in conjunction with the carnival. Those carnivals were a key source of funds for the parish and other activities in Kilcullen. But one year there was an accident and an injury. The proceeds of that carnival had to be used to settle part of the costs of the injury, which meant that there was still a debt on the organisers. That was the year that the the hall was being built below. Mm. It was a big old derelict site with uh, burned out ruins on it. And I, and I remember the, the night, the first opening dance in it. And they were all in dress, even dress. All the ladies with the bare backs, and we were young lads, and of course outside, it was great. But of course eventually the, the, the loss of that carnival money that year was a kind of a carry-on. They never kind of caught up. It started the debt, and of course that ran on until uh, sometime, I think it was in the, the, the war before, just before the war, I think, that the, uh, Jim Byrne converted into a cinema. That Jim Byrne was, of course, my father. His partners in the venture were friends of his, Tommy Kelly from Port Leash and Walter Kill from Carlow. Entertainment was also provided by the travelling shows, which went to every town and village to earn what was a precarious living. Kilcullen's Town Hall was a regular stop for their stagecraft, and one musical family was to end up staying in the area for good. But I remember the the first time that Jimmy Dunney and Paddy Dunney came to this uh, part of the country, they came there with a particular show, and I might think of the name of it in a second, and uh, Jimmy Dunney stopped in our house, 
Paddy Dunny stopped in O'Rourke's and they used to come down with the other members of the band down to our front room below to practice. And of course, my father was had been a musician in his early days. He, he, he played in a, in a, a fife and drum band. They, they, they stayed for the week, put on a different show every night. But uh, it was only about a month or so after leaving Kilcullen that uh, the Dunnies settled in Newbridge. And Jimmy set up his dance band there, and Paddy set up in the Singer Saw Machine salesman and Singer Saw Machine shop. And of course, Jimmy Dunney played one of the top dance bands in the country. Jimmy's first taste of County Hill there was Kilcullen. And there we have to leave it. As it happened, I only got Paddy Nugent on tape for one hour. There was supposed to be further time for further stories. But life rushes us by too fast to do all the things that we should. The story of Paddy Nugent's own later life is well documented in various publications in the Kilcullen area. He left more than most. He helped to leave the makings of a future for many far better than had been the case for people when he was growing up. Paddy Nugent passed away 15 years ago. Arrest day, Gareva Hallam. You've been listening to the Cullen Diary Sound Cloud. I'm Brian Byrne, and thanks for being along.